Open the laptop to type. I put my name into Skype. Some blog we're going to hype. And now they're on the pod. We're talking football and things happening in wrestling rings. But you just asked which one thinks you're listening to the pod. Don't tell your parents. Vandenberg killed the Barons. Is it time to fire Ferentz? Ask a scout.com at baby. You're listening to a sonic bomb blast of stats and dick jokes. Black Heart Gold Podcast. Totally amateurish. Not even broadcast. Sometimes in Spanish. Black Heart Gold Podcast. You hear the ice cubes in our rocks glass. We don't even edit. Black Heart Gold Podcast. There aren't that many words that rhyme with podcast. Let's start the interview. Black Heart Gold Podcast. Black Heart Gold Podcast, episode 84. Uh, end of July. We're finally there. 31, 32 days to go till football. Um, thank God. Uh, Pat Vint going solo here for the first part of the show. We'll be joined later by Ross and um, Scipio Tex from Barking Carnival to discuss the Big 12. But before we get that far, it's time for the ACC preview, the hot, wild ACC preview with Joe from the Key Play, the always excellent Virginia Tech blog. Joe, how's it going? Good, Pat. How are you doing today? Good. So uh, our, our resident expert on all things ACC, let's uh, – Let's just start with your own team. Uh, is anybody going to stop Virginia Tech in whatever division it is that Virginia Tech is in? <laughs> uh, I hope not. I think this is going to be – I think we're going to do pretty well in our own division this year. Um, yeah, we have a – I think we have – we open up with Georgia Tech, and that's going to be probably the game yeah. that makes or breaks the season. Uh, I think for us, the biggest thing about Virginia Tech is is we draw – Clemson and Florida State uh, from the other side of the conference on our on our rotational basis. So, really, if we lose to Georgia Tech, we're going to be behind the eight ball because just of who they play in there. I think they play Clemson uh, annually, and their other uh, they I don't think they play Florida State this year. So they have the they have the easier uh, divisional uh, the divisional pairing. So we lose that game to them. You know, then we have to hope that we go ahead and beat Florida State and Clemson, and they would have to lose, you know, two ACC games, which I just don't think is happening. So I think if we want to have Virginia Tech wants to have any chance of getting to the ACC championship game, that's that's like their must-win game, in my opinion. Um, is Georgia Tech the only? I mean, looking at the coastal, obviously Miami's down has a has you know some serious. Uh, NCA issues possibly on the way. Speaking of NCA, North Carolina's a mess. Um, Virginia seems on the rise, but probably not quite there yet. Is Georgia Tech really well, the only I mean, potential? I, uh, I think. I mean, pretender. I think that. Uh, well, I would have said North Carolina was. This would have kind of been North Carolina's year. I mean, going back to kind of the uh, the scheduling thing here. I mean, they play at Wake, NC State, and Maryland in their cross-divisional games. I mean, I know I'm going to probably harp on this a lot during the during this entire segment here, but I really think the schedule plays a lot into it with the ACC. I mean, I think it's just – I think it's a, I think it's a mediocre league, however you want to put it, competitive league. The teams do play competitively. It's just not at the level that you see in the SEC or, you know, in the Big 12. It's kind of like 
this brand of kind of just football that we play here, but everyone plays games that are close and there's, you know, I, I think a lot of times it just comes down to the schedule. But yeah, I think, I think North Carolina's going to have a pretty decent team this year. They mean, they bring back Renner who had a solid year last year and, you know, four of their five linemen are back. They have a new coach, but Butch Davis, I mean, I think I read was the pre-snap read, uh, article on them and he asked, he asked like a couple questions. If there wasn't all the, uh, you know, the NCAA getting their nose involved over in Carolina, would they have retained Bush Davis anyway? It's not like he was producing 10 win seasons every year while cheating. Right. So, right. <laughs> I, mean, I, I thought they had a pretty, uh, I thought they are a pretty talented team this year and their schedule really matches up to it. Um, they also played both, both techs at home. So they get Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech at home plus the easy, uh, you know, cross-conference schedule. It was, you know, I thought that was, this would have been their year to get to Charlotte for the championship game. It's just, you know, they're, they're just not going to be allowed to play in that game. So I think, I think Carolina will be a threat. I think Georgia Tech's a threat. I think UVA is, you know, they're on the rise. They brought in Alabama back of quarterback, Philip Sims, transferred, transferred there this offseason. So, they have something like seven quarterbacks on their roster now. It's actually six, but they're, they're going to have like two views <laughs> on their roster. But since, you know, since was a four-star kid out of uh, Virginia Beach, and, you know, there was a lot, a lot of that went down, I guess, from transferring Alabama that, you know, some people closed in, like his high school coach said it was like a, they wanted the Alabama kid to start at Alabama, and he wasn't in a fair shape. But in high school, he's a talented kid, and he'll probably be, you know, a talent. He'll be an upgrade to what they have at UVA. And it'll probably allow them to take one of their backup quarterbacks, uh, David Watford, who was both tech and UVA recruited in that quarterback. Uh, excuse me, uh, UVA recruited him solely as a quarterback and promised him playing time. Tech said, you know, we'll bring you in as a quarterback, but it's likely he'll move to another position if you can't kind of cut it there. And he's probably going to end up doing that at UVA. So they'll probably get a quarterback and a decent receiver out of it because the kid's a pretty talented kid. So, you know, UVA is on the upswing. They're just young. Uh, in our division, I really think that's it because then you're, you know, you're left with Duke and I can't even think of the other one, but it's, uh, Duke and Miami and then Miami is just. Miami's a mess. Yeah. Dumpster fire. Exactly. It's just like <laughs> they had all those kids leave for the NFL last year. I think like six, six of their players like went early to the draft that were underclassmen or that weren't seniors, however you want to put it. Then, uh, uh, what's his name? Ray Ray Armstrong got uh, dismissed from the team, and then uh, you know they're having like these issues with Sean Charles Henderson, another that kid who transferred from USC like the day after he signed there, or whatever the hell that was. That five-star left tackle who's like a beast, but he just doesn't seem you know mature enough at this level to play. So I think the players in ACC are going to really come down to Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech and perhaps UVA. I mean, I just think that that's why that's why I think that first game is just so important for Virginia Tech to win if they want to get to the championship game. Now, you'd mentioned that that there are you know the cross right or cross uh, cross division scheduling. How does how does the ACC handle it for the, the uh, uh, uninitiated here? It's on a rotational basis. So basically, there's three cross divisional games, and this is going to change. Uh, when we go to a nine-game conference schedule, and they, I don't think they've completely said that how they're going to do it, but for the remaining year to catch <laughs> to catch everyone else up on it, the uh, it's basically you you play. So we're stuck playing Boston College every year because we both came in from the Big East, you know, both Kazoo, Woo, uh, right. and the, the other two games just rotate around. So 
like last year we played Clemson and Wake Forest. Wake Forest drops off. We we hosted Clemson. Now we go to Clemson. Florida State comes on. Then I think we'll go to Florida State next year. And we're supposed to go to Maryland, or we're supposed to host Maryland in 2013, and then we would go to Maryland in 2014. But it's all going to get screwed up once they add once uh, Syracuse and Pitt come in, and once uh, they add the extra conference game. So it's going to get like a little messy, and I don't think they know how it's going to shake out yet. So when they go to 14 teams, they're going to add a ninth game. Yeah, they're going to the nine-game conference schedules. So, so you'll play you'll play the five in your division plus. Four across, or it has to be six in your division plus plus three across. Yes, exactly. They just don't know how they're just going to have to interrupt the current rotation. And like another thing for specifically to Virginia Tech is like this year we actually played Pitt non-conference, so we traveled to Pitt this year, and more than likely we're going to end up traveling back to Pitt in 2013 because I think it's uh, the the teams um, in the Atlantic play their five games in even years or their five home games in odd years and the coastal teams play their five home games in um the even years so we won't have that extra home ACC game to support it. So more than likely they'll my guess is they're just gonna keep the uh you know, keep everything out of the home the home and away stats and then just make us play two road games at Pitt, which is really unavoidable. It's just kind of yeah. annoying more than anything. We just played two in a row at Minnesota. We know how that goes. Yeah. Um, Pitt is basically the Minnesota of the ACC without even getting there yet. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) the only thing, Pitt Pitt has Permanente Brothers, which is a plus. Like, that was the benefit. Like, everyone was like, oh, we'll be able to recruit in Pittsburgh now. And I guess especially with Penn State, that might actually be true. We might actually be able to recruit Pennsylvania a little bit more. But they have Permanente Brothers. And I don't know if you've been there, but if you ever get a chance to go to Permanente Brothers, they have, like, just – uh, fantastic, like, pastrami sandwiches, and they put a whole bunch of, like, french fries and coleslaw and shit all on top of the sandwich, and it's ridiculously awesome. I've, have, like, I've never been them. to Pittsburgh, oh, but I will go. Yeah, you go to Pittsburgh, they have that, and one of these, like, weird blue-collar liquor laws, like, they sell beer in in bars to go. So, like, either – we were there for a wedding, and, <laughs> like, you buy your beer in the – you buy your beer from, like, a, a – eight beer store or something like that, but they also sell them in, like, the bar. So you just go to the bar, and you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll have a, I think it was, like, four packs of 24 ounces of England, some weird configuration of beer, but our hotel was right next to a bar. So we went to the bar, had some drinks, and they were like, yeah, we'll have some beer to go. And they were like, okay, here you go. We'll, we'll cash you out here. And it was fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Now i got to move to Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> the logical conclusion. <laughs> My girlfriend just shook her head at me when I said that. There's no way we're moving to Pittsburgh. <laughs> Um, let's, let's move to the Atlantic and, uh, um, obviously I guess it's another preseason. So Florida State's your favorite. Yeah. I wrote in my notes for Florida State. I just wrote back and then copied and pasted it like 50 times. So it's like a paragraph <laughs> saying that over and over again. Yeah. They're, they're preseason favorites once again. It's like the, you know, it's just like one of those right, right of passages through the off season that has to happen. But you know, Steel Steel picked them to win the national championship this year. So I mean, he's tired of having the most accurate preseason magazine running. It's that you know that's the limb he's going out on. But it's hard to argue with that man's nine sets of power rankings. I mean, they have a good team this year. They're really really deep on the defensive line. Very talented. I think they're returning. I want to say they're returning all eight starters and they're too deep, but I think it might actually be seven out of eight. I know Virginia Tech's returning eight out of eight, and I think they're seven out of eight, but. You know, whatever, they're still ridiculously talented and deep there. 
Um, 17 returning total starters. They have, you know, going back to the schedule, they have what might be the easiest schedule in the ACC, which is basically, yeah, Murray State and Banana State to start the season. So, I mean, they're going to have the extra, essentially, two weeks of practice to work out all the kinks. Uh, then, then they host Wake, I believe. Then they go, uh, and then they host Clemson. So they're at home for the, the start of the season. Their first two weeks of the season, my guess is they're putting one day a weekend for the team they're playing, and the other two days of practice are game planning for Clemson, maybe Wake Forest, since Wake Forest has a, you know, you know, basically every year Wake Forest just now beats Florida State, so they might take them a little more seriously, but my guess is they're going to have a lot of extra time to, you know, game plan for Clemson and they're hosting them. They hope they host Florida. They play USF, but that, you know, they're, they're in Florida for that. They're in Florida again for Miami. And really they just have to travel. I mean, they have, they, we host them in Blacksburg on Thursday night, close to the end of the season. I think it's the first Thursday in October, the second, or excuse me, November. Well, that'll be, you know, that'll be a little tricky, but I mean, sure. they, they look like they have a pretty good team this year. I mean, they're pretty fun. I'm a big, you know, I like to have my fun poking fun at Florida State, but this year, out of all the years, it looks like they have a pretty good roster and a you know pretty good schedule to go with it. So I guess we'll see what happens with them. And obviously, if you're going to talk Florida State, you have to talk about Clemson, which is for Iowa fans, Clemson is it's like they're almost exactly like us, and they're the complete opposite of us. Like really? from 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 week to week, Clemson's just complete incapability to win a close game. Yes, mirrors us and their ability to like have great numbers and end up at seven and five mirrors what we do. And yet they have just gobs of talent, Yeah, <laughs> just five stars everywhere. And we have none of that. Right. Um, is, is Dabo going to get them flipped around at all this year? Or is it another, you know, eight and four season for, for Clemson? I don't know. I mean, I wrote down for Clemson. The first thing I wrote down for them was, will they find consistency? So, I mean, I agree with you a hundred percent there. I think this year, I mean, I think they're only going to get better. I think Dabo has done an incredible job recruiting, and he's done the smart thing, which is delegate a lot, you know, to his assistant coaches. And, you know, he's got great assistants. They have a great staff, great coordinators. And, you know, my guess is, you know, they open up with Auburn in, uh, in the Peach Bowl preseason or preseason kickoff game there. That'll be tough. I mean, if they get past that one again, then, you know, they're on – they're basically on the, you know, the upswing until I don't, I don't think they have anything really in their way until they go to, go to Tallahassee. So, I mean, it's hard to say. It's, it's basically, I really, the biggest thing about them is just replacing on the offensive line, which obviously is probably the hardest thing in college football to do because they have, right. uh, their center, uh, who's named Dalton Freeman. I mean, he's a really good center and he's a great anchor, but, I think they're returning only one other starter to one of their tackles. They're going to have to basically break in three new linemen. And that offense is, I mean, that offense benefits from having a, you know, a veteran line, like every other offense, it's cliche to say, but I mean, that offense, I really think benefits from having a, you know, a, you know, with all the misdirection and stuff like that, I'm sure you're trying to get guys to miss, but I mean, to really spring some of those plays, it helps when you can get, you know, the, you know, the linemen turn, you know, turning around and athletically getting out there and picking off players and really open up those holes for the for the talent they have across, you know, every receiver and coming out of the backfield and everywhere else where you know, wherever they're gonna move the ball. 
So, you know, I expect them to be more consistent this year. I don't think they're going to lose, you know, again, I don't think they're going to, you know, give up 80 million points to Maryland. And I don't think they'll, they'll drop games to, I think they lost, you know, NC State, they lost to, they kept it, they, they should have lost to Wake Forest last year. They got boned on, Wake Forest got boned on some penalties late in the game, but they should have lost the Wake. But I, I think this year, I think they'll, they're probably not going to win the division. Like I wouldn't, I'm, Taking Florida State to win the division, but I don't think it'll be a case of I think I think Clemson is the second best team in the league. I'll put it that way. Like I expect, you know, if I'm picking right now, I would say Virginia Tech has to travel there uh, in October, mid October, I believe, and you know that's a game I think Tech will end up losing because I think Clemson is a pretty talented team this year. I think they'll be more consistent, but I don't think they'll they'll get the breaks they need, and I don't think they're good enough to beat Florida State. Now, the rest of that division, the middle of that division, I think, kind of is a little bit interesting. Um, Wake Forest doesn't look like they've got a whole lot, but it's Jim They Grove never do, though. They never do. They're, right. always, they're it's, very it's, solid games for whatever reason. Right. They, they're, they're fundamentals to 7-5 and five every year, it seems. Yeah. Um, Jim Grove has them on, like, you know, a vector straight to 7-5, and 8-4, and four, get to a bowl game, appease <laughs> the fans until, you know, he's probably gotten it. To the point where Wake Forest basketball fans are like, "Well, we have football season coming up in another few months." So, I mean, there's that. I mean, it's yeah, they're they're that's just, kind of sad. It is. It's really sad because I mean, the Wake the Wake Forest basketball number used to be like, you know, that, that was a that was a proud basketball program, but now it's geez, they they've fallen off. And see, we're talking basketball on a, a football. Yes, podcast, it's ACC. Very it's ACC, ACC of us, right? You see, I've been, it's the only conference where you type in ACC standings into Google, and it's like the fourth one down before you get to football. Right. Yeah. I know. Like the Google auto searches, like they're like <laughs> basketball season hasn't started yet. Check back and. What's the thoughts? I, I know inside of Maryland, there's a like a small but vocal minority who already wants to fire their coach. Um, Which is what, what are your thoughts? Right. What, what? Right. Because Edsel has said that that's all he wants is a Maryland job for some odd reason. But um, it, it's his dream job in the way that Todd Graham's every job is his dream job. But what, what's your thoughts on Maryland? Are they are they just a train wreck, or are there signs of improvement here? Maybe they can do something this season. I mean, I think they'll, I think they'll be one of the teams that gets better as the season goes on. Like, I think to start the season, it's going to be rough. I mean, they, they fired both their coordinators. They brought in, uh, Mike Loxley, uh, from New Mexico, who's a pretty solid coordinator. <laughs> you know, had some, had some issues that he, I watched a presser with him today and he was like, well, what do you want to call what happened? The issues, you know, just going off on media people, but yeah, questionable, questionable guy, but sound football mind. He worked under the fridge. And uh, their defensive coordinator, I believe, is uh, Stewart, Brian Stewart. So uh, he's an NFL, has NFL experience. So Edsel's at least surrounded him with capable football people, you would assume. So yeah, I think the, I think basically their thing is they're so young that at the beginning of the year, I mean, they're going to end up probably playing Diggs and West Brown. I mean, they got two of the better recruits in the country. You know, Diggs was like the number one player. I think the number one player by one of the services in America. And Brown was a four-star running back, but I think if you ask any coach you want a freshman, true freshman starting, they're going to say no. They'd rather have someone who's been in the late room, right. in the system, whatever. But, I mean, they're, they seem like they could be big, especially special talents. So, but I think, yeah, I think they just have so many 
think there were like 20 plus kids transferred out a year, including Danny O'Brien, who <laughs> was probably the best player on the team. Uh, so I think it'll be tough for them at the beginning of the year. But if Edsel, if I were making a decision whether or not to fire or keep Edsel, basically to be like, okay, did you improve from the first game all the way through the last game? Because I, I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair to, like, judge him even on last year. Like, everyone wants to – yeah, he, he just is so, like, cold to the media and just doesn't know how to handle himself in the media. Maryland as a whole was, like, doing these Groupons and, like, these – PR people for Edsel. He just doesn't have, like, that charisma that can endear him to, like, the local media to, to, to get some favor out of him, even the national media. Like, anything, everything he says, someone will find something wrong with it and just rake him over the coals for it. Right. So, did you just say that he did a Groupon? Oh, yeah, they did. Jeez, uh, they do. Groupon <laughs> in the ACC is like, Boston College uses Groupon. Actually, uh, Virginia uses Valpac. They're a Valpac school. So, you know, uh, really hard to... Our divisions would be a lot easier to remember if we had the Groupon division and the Valpac division because that would be a lot better for everyone to remember. Uh, you don't think Virginia uses Valpac? What? That? Because Thomas Jefferson started the Postal Service. That's why Virginia <laughs> uses Valpac. They're <laughs> very, they're very committed. <laughs> um, uh, the rest of that division, obviously, Boston College is a mess, and. And NC State, I, I don't get at all. I, I just I don't understand what the heck is going on with that team in any way, shape, or form. NC State um, might be pretty good this year. I mean, I think Mike Lennon's pretty good. Uh, you know, his brother yeah. Sean was at Virginia Tech for a while, and you know, for four years, and two of them when he started, when actually he started for three, but the two when he started over Tyrod Taylor, were like you know a lot of people don't like him because of that, even though, you know, Tyron wasn't the same player his first two years that he was his, you know, last two. Like, he definitely was the they, – they probably were – Tyron had the upside one in, but they both produced the same on the field, which was very little at that time. But Mike is actually – I mean, he's he seems like a heady player. He seems like a smart guy. Like, a, everything he always says or, you know, you read he says, it sounds intelligent. It sounds like he's working. Uh, and, you know, you watch him throw the football on it. You know, it's, he, he's got a great arm. You know, I think if only they let him play. I mean, I, it just yeah. seems to me that they—they're so. I mean, they make Iowa look like Mike Leach, and they're just <laughs> everything is just <laughs> close to the vest. We're not going to give it away. We're just going to throw three times and punt. I, I think uh, you'll, I think you'll see a little bit more. I think that's. Uh, I think that's Tob. I mean, I think he's like you know he came from that. Uh, you know. Kind of good, you know, old school. I think he was, I think he was under Coughlin or under Belichick, like that, that coaching tree of, you know, run, play good defense, you know, that sort of brand of football. And I think last year, especially, they kind of broke him in little by little. But then when they started opening, they started opening it up with him, you could see, okay, this could be the type of kid that can, if you wanted to throw with him 20, you know, 20 times a game, he could go out there and put up some, some decently gaudy numbers, especially with the talent base around him. And against the competition they're going against. I mean, I think I think you'll see him say, okay, we last year we broke him in, you know, this year let's try to let him win some games. Where they maybe didn't do that until the end of the season with him. Um, my favorite part of NC State is that they have a running back named Mustafa. Yes, that's fantastic. Or Mufasa, or I think it's maybe Mufasa. Um, either way, awesome. I want that guy to run for a million yards. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the dregs just a little bit. Obviously, Duke is Duke. Um, 
and, and Boston College just doesn't know what to do with themselves. Is there any hope for either one of those teams? Duke, I mean, I think, like, the big thing, like, every year is, like, will Duke make it to a bowl game? Probably not. I think they're, you know, Cutcliffe has done – I mean, it's Duke, right? I mean, everyone wants to, like, kind of be like, oh, Vanderbilt's, like, moving on the up and up. And it's like, well, Vanderbilt plays in the SEC. And, you know, as much as they – you know, I don't know if they're calling a basketball school or a football school, but I would say – it's more important for Duke to be Duke, you know, academically and be better at basketball and just kind of like, oh, you know, I think I think four wins a year is great for, you know, great for Duke. If they can win the homecoming game, I bet Duke is happy. If they can win their one double A games, I bet Duke is thrilled. If they get to a bowl game, that's like the Super Bowl. I don't think they're going to get to a bowl game. I just don't think there's, you know, they have some talented pieces. Uh, they got a good wide receiver. The quarterback's solid. You know, the coach is very solid. But they just don't have the, the talent across the board and just into the two deep to really win, you know, win a you know, win consistently. My guess is one of these years they're going to get enough, you know, they're slowly bringing in more pieces, but you know, my guess is they're going to get enough pieces one of these years to make an upset. And someone big like Virginia Tech, the Virginia Tech's played Duke very close. I mean, I don't know if you looked at the scores and I could give you the exact numbers off the top of my head, but last year it was a, they had the ball with probably the last, five minutes with a chance to win, and our defense just, I think they picked them off or they forced the turnover or whatever it was. And two years ago or three years ago in Blacksburg, when Tyrod and Glennon were switching, they had a chance to win. I remember that game. Yeah, it was like a 10-3 yeah. game. So they've actually gotten close a few times of knocking off someone in the conference. And I think the more that cut, I mean, I think I think you just, you know, leave cut with alone and just say, look, you know, just as long as you want to be here, you want to be here, you're smart. You didn't leave to take the Tennessee job when you could have. You know, I think one of these days he's going to pull off an upset win like that. And then when you couple it with their schedule, you know, if they're scheduling, you know, a one double A team and then, you know, some less ranked conference teams, you know, they might get to a bowl eventually. I just don't think it'll be this year. But I think I think eventually it'll happen for them. All right, big picture here. And I got, I got one big picture question before we go into the kind of the, the finale stuff. Every year I look at the Orange Bowl and I say, the ACC is playing who, and then I bet on the ACC, and then I lose. So why can't the ACC beat the Big East or whoever it is that rolls through that the Orange Bowl? What's the what's the keys the Big East has? Well, okay, because it's not a great conference by any way. I, form and effect, all the people are jumping to join your conference. I will. Well, it's like jumping from I guess the Titanic to a, a glacier or something like that. It's, <laughs> it's not as bad as a sinking ship, but it's so cold and there's not a lot of you know anything else going on, but you're on stable ground at some level. Uh, I mean, the one, I mean, the one year we played in the Orange Bowl, we didn't, we fought at the Orange Bowl and we played Stanford. So that's not, a, I mean, that wasn't a big East team and they were probably top three team in the country that year and they absolutely crushed us. Yeah. Uh, when yeah, you guys right. played Georgia Tech, I mean, Big Ten team, so I mean, you crushed Georgia Tech. When we played Cincinnati, I mean, we handled business against them. Now, yes, last you- year, is, you know, you really can't argue in any way, shape, or form for Clemson. I mean, that, you know, <laughs> that, that was, just, that was I, you know, I can't even, I, I you know, as a Tech fan, you know, West Virginia going back before we went to the ACC was a, a really huge rival. I mean, it was like, you know, at, at one point, you know, they, they got really good because Rich Rod really, you know, was able to beat up Bud Foster a little bit and Foster countered, you know, offense versus defense philosophy. And then, you know, it was like every other year we were trading wins. So it got really intense. But, you know, I hate saying anything positive about them. But yeah, they crushed Clemson last year. And I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, it just seems like 
I think if Tech had gotten into the Orange Bowl, like we had beaten Clemson, I think – I'm not going to say we would have beat West Virginia because it's like you just can't make that argument after they put up 70 points. But I can tell you specifically that Foster has adjusted – the reason why Foster changed from, you know, doing his 4-4 uh, – you know, his 4-4 man in the box offense, you know, at the beginning of the thousands to what he does now – uh, was to combat the spread. So we actually do really, you know, we play very well against uh, spread offenses like that, save Clemson, which, you know, you could say is a fr- uh, spread, but, you know, it's more of a, you know, single wing than anything. And, you know, it's right. given us fits for, you know, other reasons. But, you know, when you play like one of those, you know, what Rich Rod, you know, tries to do, and even like the air rate when we played ECU, I mean, I think we held ECU to, 92 yards when we played them, and that's a direct descendant of Leach's offense. So I think we would have held our own a little bit better. But, yeah, I mean, we don't show up for big games, and that's just – I mean, I think that's the biggest problem with the league is with perception. I don't know if it's fair or unfair. I would argue it's unfair to base a conference totally on bowl games because, I mean, I, I think bowl games mean different things to different teams, and a lot of teams treat them as exhibitions. I know Tech up until the last – five or six years really just treated it as a reward and they did a lot of fun things and it's been more of a business trip, you know, starting with that Cincinnati Orange Bowl and then the game against Tennessee that you won in Atlanta. But, you know, a lot a lot of teams just kind of say, let's go blow it out down to Miami. So, you know, whatever team, you know, it just could be a, a streak where, you know, the AC team's obviously been less talented and they're not giving their best effort and, you know, the team coming in is I just think it's I think it's something that has just been it's been a long streak, so it's really hard to argue that you know, like these one or two things and it's not the conference is less than what it is, but I think it's something that you'll see turn around because I think the Leafs is bring in too much talent. I mean look at the kid, uh Nitschke or Nimitschke, however you pronounce his last name, or butchering it, number one player in the country committing to Clemson. I mean the ACC consistently yeah. puts uh either the I think it's I think up until last year NFL draft, we put the second most uh, draft picks for, for five, six years running. And that's UC number one, UC number two. So, I mean, the talent's there. I just think the coaching across the board isn't where the XD is. The schools don't pay as much for their coaches. And, you know, it's, it's just been a, a really long string of inconsistent play, which hopefully, you know, if everything's cyclical, will turn itself around. But, you know, you, it's, it's going to take better coaching and, you know, more commitment to winning in football. Basically, you meant you mentioned better coaching, and and it leads to my next question. For for as long as I can remember, the ACC has been the bastion of at least one guy who's like a pro retread, who's just not any good at college either. Like Chan Gailey, is this the Chan Gailey? Yeah, yeah, Chan Gailey. It used to be George Tech would always have him, Bobby uh, Bobby Dodd and Chan Gailey, and all those guys. Um, And and then Al Groh was at Virginia, and it was just wonderful. The Al Groh years was into the line for two yards as far as us over and over again. Um, Is Tom O'Brien my guy now? If I'm going to be looking for that, or is is there somebody else in this that I should be watching that is just excruciating that way? Good coach, so Gianni, I suppose, might be there, but even he's not. I don't think. I don't think they're really just conservative. There's not any good. I, yeah. I, just, I feel like he State's probably the team that that has the uh, the key to the. We're not going to do anything uh, even remotely interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's part of the problem too. Is everything is just really boring in this league. I mean, you're right. I mean, that's like another. It's just not exciting. At least the Big East, like a lot of people, like will be like, "Oh, the Big East is actually kind of exciting because they all do." You know, when they had West Virginia, they kind of spread it out, and you know, they had exciting football teams to watch. But yeah, you're right. 
uh, I would say, I'm trying to think, is there, I don't even know if any of them were, I'm trying to think of any of them that were previous head coaches, and I'm drawing, I'm trying to just go through the, the league in my mind, but I'm drawing a little bit of a blank, but I would say probably Tom O'Brien, Spaz, Edsel. Yeah. Uh, Ed, Edsel's you know, a good choice, yes. You know, who could really do it is the guy coming in from Syracuse, Doug Marone. I don't, you know, they just, yeah. they, yeah. Might, they, they might be boring on lack of skill, but from what I've seen of Syracuse football, it's just like, it, it's, it's not a good that, product again. I mean, they're getting there, but it's still, and right there. Yeah, that's, it, it's a little while yeah. away. And we'll see what the Pittsburgh coach does, but, you know, uh, yeah, you know, we kind of skipped over Boston College a little bit, but Jesus, he is just, I mean, I, I really don't like Boston College. It's just, they're just, you know, you meet their fans and they're just, they're not really the greatest they're people Boston. to tailgate with. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. So they're like, oh, we lost. We're going to go watch our five other pro sport teams. They pump in artificial noise at their stadium. They mm-hmm. they maybe sell like 7,500 seats. They, you know, they, like I said, the Groupon, Groupon school. But yeah, Spad is just like, you got to kind of feel bad for him. He just seems, you know, utterly incompetent. I mean, last year was just like, and, and the thing is, it's like, you know, the, eight, the athletic director fires the guy you know, who gets them to the two AC championship games but loses, um, right. you know, for interviewing somewhere else. It's like it's yes. like no one gave him the memo that said, you know, that's a really good look for your program when other schools, you know, want <laughs> your head coach. Because that means other head coaches from other schools are wanting to go to your school to get into the NFL. And it's like, and he was like, oh, we're just going to end that right now. And then, you know, there's kind of like this loyalty to Spaz. It's like, you know, he just seems like the – you know, I would sum up this by saying – Spaz is like the guy that Boston College would probably fire, and Spaz would say, I would like to stay on as defensive coordinator. You know what I mean? Like, that type of guy. Where, like, that's why, like, I feel bad. <laughs> he just seems like such a loyal guy. He's, just, he's, such, he's such a good defensive coach, but as a program manager and as a head coach, he just it's just not there for Spaz, unfortunately. As, as a disinterested observer, um, if I'm going to tune into an ACC Coastal game and an ACC Atlantic game, give me one player – from each league that I want to watch? Well, you probably got to go with Sammy Watkins uh, out of Clemson because, I mean, the kid is ridiculously fast. Uh, we don't know what his – I don't think Dabo said how long he's suspended for, but, like, he got pulled over, you know, for, for being high or whatever, having drug paraphernalia and running into a curb because he was high driving. They haven't said, you know, how, how long he's out for, but my guess is – since Auburn's the first game, he's either going to play, play, you know, the entire game against Auburn or, you know, sit a quarter or ten plays or whatever it is and then sit next week because I think they have a one double A after that. But Jeff Watkins is, you know, he's fast. He's, you know, fun to watch. He makes big plays in the open field. Uh, he, he could really do everything. And I guess, I mean, I'll be a homer and I'll say Logan Thomas just because, I mean, it's really awesome having, like, a 260-pound quarterback just lay everyone out. It's, like, the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Like, I mean, I, it's, you're just, like, you know, we do things pretty conservatively at Tech, too, offensively, although we're kind of getting out of our, you know, three yards in a clotted scheme. But, you know, it is really great when you need five yards or four yards and you're, like, can't, you know, big quarterback, take the ball, run forward, fall over, and you've gained six yards because he's, you know, six feet, five, 270, and just, you know, no one can touch him. I mean, he single-handedly probably won the Georgia Tech game last year. Just, you know, anyone that tried to tackle him, he basically just said, get out of my way. And it was fantastic. So, 
So those two, I think, are probably going to be – I think those will probably be the two guys that get featured, you know, most prominently during the season. And, and gun to your head, um, who who wins each division and who wins that championship game? I'll take Florida State to uh, – Florida State versus Virginia Tech, and I think Florida State will end up winning it finally. But I don't think – I will be a national champion. I think they'll flip up once or twice along the way. I think it'll probably be like a ten and two Florida State versus ten and two Virginia Tech. I won't let your fans know. It's okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be the ones who end up losing to like I don't know one of the teams I just didn't give any credit to like along the way. Like if we were playing Wake Forest, I would say Wake Forest, but we'll end up losing to like uh, and not a Duke, but we'll end up losing to someone like North Carolina or. No, Virginia. Actually, yeah, Virginia. Oh, God. If that happens. Virginia. That's just not going to be good for, good for my you know life. Who, you know who can stop Logan, right? Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Thomas Jefferson can really stop anyone, though, because he runs the bail. <laughs> that's and right. If you, don't, if you don't have the mail, you're fucked. I mean, that's, that's what would you do without it. the mail? That's pretty much it. <laughs> that's a pretty good Seinfeld reference. End the show. Um, <laughs> want to thank Joe for being with us and remind everybody they can catch – um, all of all of the fun of, with Virginia Tech season at the Key Play, and be sure to follow him on Twitter at the Key Play, um, mostly because he'll start typing in all caps pretty soon, and it'll feel like he's yelling at you. <laughs> Believe me, he's not. The worst is when people so, like I'll message people out of the blue, and I'll be like, I'll see something, I'll respond to them, and they have never heard of me before, and I will type in all caps to them, and then we'll just say, <laughs> Why are you yelling at me? And then I'll have to explain I'm not yelling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's all worth the stuff. It's the karma right there. Uh, thank you very much for having me on, Matt. I had a great time. Thanks for being here. We're back on Blackheart Gold Podcast 84 for our Big 12 preview. Uh, Joining us now, uh, a man who needs no further introduction, Ross W.B. Ross. What's going on? I am excited to talk Big 12 football. That's what's going on. You you should be. It's an exciting conference. It's going to be an interesting one this year, and to... Um, to help us discuss uh, what exactly it is that we should be expecting from the Big 12 this year. Scipio Tex, the one, the only, from Barking Carnival. Uh, Scipio, how you doing? I'm doing great. And you can call me Paul. I'm, I'm officially uh... – The name is also Paul. Yes. I'm also – I'm behind – I'm out from behind the mask. I'm like a Mexican wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> you can never behind... put it back on. That's right. Except behind that mask is another mask. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was on a Ragbri last week. Ragbri is a, uh, a bike ride across the state of Iowa. It's like a seven-day thing that the Des Moines Register puts on. And um, along the way, there's usually at least one or two, like, ridiculously awesome farm slip and slides. Like, you can just stop, and they have – they've just put tarp across their yard, and you just go flying across their yard. Um, and at one of them, there was a kid uh, who had to be probably nine or ten years old and was wearing a Rey Mysterio mask, and was like the human dart just flying down. <laughs> again. 
I have to know, was Mr. Porkchop at Ragbri this year too? It was, yes, he was, and that's the best seven dollars you'll ever spend. Um, yeah. it, it's so incredibly delicious. Uh, but enough with the Ragbri podcast. Uh, Big 12 football. Uh, Paul, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. It looks like, uh, we're kind of back to, to old form to a certain extent. Oklahoma, uh, seems to be you know, at least the preseason top of the pack. Uh, Texas probably right there with it, and then uh, you know the the eight little dwarfs behind it. Where where am I wrong here? I think you may be right from a revenue perspective. Uh, Texas <laughs> Texas hasn't been Texas in a couple of years, so we kind of we have a lot to prove. But yeah, I mean I I actually do I I do kind of handicap the conference that way, but that's also contingent on our health and quarterbacks sure. playing at least average and all sorts of little you know triflesome things like that. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, preseason top five, as usual. Uh, Bobby Stoops brings in a ton of talent, as usual. Uh, but we've seen this play before. It doesn't always end well for Oklahoma. Last year it ended playing Iowa in, uh, like, Scottsdale. So uh, will this be the year where Oklahoma strings it together? Uh, or, or where are the landmines for the Sooners? Yeah, I, I don't think they string it together. I, I think the two things you can predict about Oklahoma, and, and they seem almost contradictory, but they're not, is they will always underperform their preseason ranking, usually because their preseason ranking is extremely high. And right. two, they'll probably win the Big 12. <laughs> and I, I think both of those things hold unless Texas or someone else sort of makes a push. So... Um, I, th- I think they'll be pretty good. I, I think them getting back Mike Stoops is a big deal. I don't think Venables was a great defensive coordinator for them, and I think Bob sensed that and felt that. Uh, I think he's happy to be reunited with his brother. Um, and then I, I think they'll have a good offense, but you know I, I don't I don't think they're overwhelmingly talented, and I you know I think people kind of view them. I, I think they're an easy lazy pick to be in the top 10 or top five, just because they're always so consistent. So, uh, but I, I don't see them as some sort of juggernaut. Uh, who among, obviously Landry, Landry Jones is back and, and that's probably the the biggest name of them all for them. But uh, um, among the rest of that, that offense, is there, is there anything really coming back that, that, that Iowa fans know from the inside ball? Um, so actually one person that's not coming back that was recently announced is, uh, Oklahoma center Ben Haburn quit football. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. It's actually pretty sad. I mean, it was because of neck issues. I think it was kind of unexpected and, uh, he'd started 30 games for them at center and was kind of a solidifying force. So they lose, you know, a center. They, um, also just recently brought back some wide receivers from, from suspension uh, who had been conveniently? Yeah, who had been who had been in trouble, uh, and also that coincided with them not being able to get in a JUCO wide receiver that they were counting on. So, yeah, there's there's a little bit of turmoil there. I mean, it's look, it's OU. I mean, they they're just such a consistent force in the Big Twelve. Uh, as far as other familiar players, uh, you probably are familiar with Kenny Stills, the wide receiver. Sure, uh, he's, he's a very good awesome player. Haircut. Yeah, and and wears a dress nicely. <laughs> I don't know if you were privy to that. That's not just Texas propaganda. He uh, took some pictures on Twitter wearing a dress, but um, he's he's a he's a good player. He actually kind of fell off pretty dramatically when Ryan Broyles got injured. So the question is whether he can be a number one receiver, and I guess we'll find out 
they bring back pretty much their whole offensive line other than Habern. And then they've got some uh, pretty good players in their, in their defensive back seven. But I, I don't think it's a, you know, this isn't a dominant OU defense by any stretch. Uh, they, you know, they just get by on pretty good schemes, pretty good coaching. They're intense. They've got a, a good system of development. And, uh, you know, it's just OU. They're, they're a very consistent force. So they're, they're not going to be I, a hugely different team from what I think you saw in your bowl game. And, and I think, you know, they struggled with Iowa a little bit. And I and I I think they'll kind of do that with most of the decent teams they play. I think that's a very liberal interpretation of what they did to Iowa, but uh, we'll take it. Did, well, really? You, you got a sense yeah. that they were a buzzsaw? No, but they were they were clearly better than Iowa was. I mean, that's not saying a whole lot for last year's Iowa team. But once they once they finally found their gear, there was no way Iowa was going to stop them. Uh, I, Iowa has a history of scrappiness against Big Twelve juggernauts. Oh, I know. To be, to be yeah. fair, that one gear was just them letting Blake Bell run the Wildcat the entire <laughs> yeah. game. Yeah, right. We, and we had no answer for that. Like, what? The Bell Dozer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is actually the one cool thing that OU can do that no other spread team can do. Uh, you know, OU hasn't really been able to run the football in years. Uh, right. But when they put in Bell Dozer... Unlike a lot of spread teams, they're able to convert third and one. They're able to convert when it's the you know red zone inside the five or ten yard line on the goal line. They've got a six foot six, two hundred sixty pound guy who takes the snap and just runs up the field, and it's it's helmet on helmet blocking wise. So, you know, he basically just falls forward and gets two yards. So, I, it actually gives them a dynamic that most spread teams don't have, which I think is actually going to be pretty valuable for them. Let's talk about your your chosen team, the uh, the Longhorns from the great state of Texas. I, uh, <laughs> I had a there were two guys on Ragby with Texas jerseys, and so when I went by them, they were hook, they're giving the hook them to everybody. Oh god, Texas fans, that's what they have to do. That's awesome. And, and so and so I kind of yelled hook them back to them, and the guys were like, "Yeah, we're obnoxious." I'm like, "We stole your old offensive coordinator," and they were like, "He's good." <laughs> really. So, yeah, these must so be not they were extreme Texas fans. They were old Texas fans. Uh, I don't know if that that changes anything that like they feel a certain affinity for Greg Davis because they're the same age uh, or what. But they're awed by the forward pass. Anything that's not yeah. the wishbone, they find right. you know, witchcraft. They, they found Colt McCoy to be very Roger Staubach like. <laughs> Staubachian. Staubachian. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the proper term. Uh, um, so Texas is actually going to be pretty promising. Uh, we we bit the bullet, played a ton of freshmen last year. At one point, we started true freshmen at left tackle, quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. Uh, in addition to starting, you know, true freshmen and sophomores all through our secondary and, and defensive line. So uh, those guys are all a year older. They're all pretty good. And if we can get pretty decent quarterback play and not get any injuries at tackle, uh, we're actually going to be a pretty good team. So who's going to take that quarterback spot? Is it going to be Case McCloy or is it going to be Ash? It's going to be David Ash. Um, so Mac Brown has sort of tried to create a false quarterback battle. Um, maybe it's because he doesn't want to coronate Ash. Uh, the last time we did sort of a coron- coronation of the quarterback position with Garrett Gilbert didn't work out so well. So he ended up with, with Greg Davis losing his job. We ended up with Greg Davis losing his job and Garrett Gilbert transferring to SMU. So uh, <laughs> that, that didn't work out. So uh, maybe they're trying to get him to earn it. I, I don't think that's the case. I think, in fact, it was 
a little bit more Machiavellian, literally Machiavellian with the M A C K. Uh, Clever. I see what you did. There. Thank you. Thank you. This is the magic. <laughs> uh, I mean, basically, I, I think he's trying to keep Case McCoy from transferring. Um, this is a good way of doing it. I mean, Iowa's done this for years. Is the we're going to keep it open for everybody. Just please don't leave. Well, and Ricky Sandy provided just enough interceptions that as the backup, you could kind of buy it. Like, I think I may have a shot. So. Oh, and 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 John Winky, who is uh, a former Elite Eleven quarterback, whatever the hell that means, um, uh, came in and was always listed as the co-starter with James Vandenberg or co-backup with James Vandenberg when, when Sandy was here, and now he's our punter. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> exactly. So I know exactly how that works. Uh, Malcolm Brown back at tailback. Malcolm Brown back at tailback. Uh, he may not even be our best tailback. Uh, there's a guy named Joe Bergeron that's this sort of this powerful traditional primal force running back. Big Big Ten dudes would love this guy. Um, he's like six one, two forty, pretty athletic, skilled. Would rather run through a guy than around him. And and then we've got he sounds, real, he sounds like Brett Bielema's wet dream. Yeah, he he really is. Um, and honestly, if five guys jumped him on the street, I think he'd do better than Monty Ball did. <laughs> Too soon. But uh, maybe soon. Yeah, I, I, we actually have a bunch of other guys too. Like running back is ridiculous. We go five or six deep, um, so that's not a concern. So you're going to run the wishbone this year, is what you're saying? We we really <laughs> should probably run the veer, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to go with this modern passing game trend that everyone seems to be adopting. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we actually have some pretty good personnel, and they're just young. And on our offensive line. We're the anti-Iowa. Uh, you know, where you guys kind of have a system where you take guys in and you redshirt them and you coach them and develop them. We try to look every year in the offensive line. We don't, we don't redshirt. We weren't redshirting guys. We weren't developing them. And we just kept throwing bodies at the problem. And so now we've got some good young players, but, you know, we've been robbing Peter to pay Paul for so long that we haven't been able to redshirt and accumulate a lot of experience and age at the position. Sure. And I think as an Iowa fan, you know the value of that. So. Oh, absolutely. Now, I, I do have to ask you this. So you've got Case McCoy, who's the brother of Colt McCoy, right? Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. And you've got Jackson Shipley, who's the brother of Jordan Shipley at receiver? That's right. Are you guys just like going in and being like, hey, look, if you're a bro of, of one of our bros, then you're one of our bros, like – <laughs> Do they just pass the scholarship down through the family as they go on? Yeah, I mean, it's I think it's a legacy issue. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's like, a, it's like a fraternity. We, we've had these weird family connections, um, and I'm sure they will continue. Mac Mac Brown tends to see younger brothers, and he sees the exact same player. And in Shipley's case, he's actually correct. In McCoy's <laughs> case, in McCoy's case, not so much. But uh, Case Case definitely tries hard. A couple of pretty good pieces coming back on your defensive line. Uh, Okafor's back, right? Yeah, the, basically the D line is going to be really good. Uh, Okafor's back. A guy named Jim uh, Jackson Jeffcoat, who's the son of Jim Jeffcoat, former Dallas Cowboy, uh, is going to be back. He was he actually led us in tackles for loss and sacks last year. Uh, and then we've got defensive tackles. We've got five guys that can actually play who are pretty good. Um, we've got. New linebackers that are totally inexperienced, but they're very talented. And then the secondary actually looks incredibly stout. So 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, the defense for Texas is actually going to be really, really good. Hey, I think Gideon's the only guy who left. Right? <laughs> He's the only guy who left, and that's uh, sometimes – That's not a bad thing, necessarily. Addition by subtraction. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like the Adam Shada of Texas. I like that. Um, <laughs> Kenny Caro sounds like a cast member on Miami Vice. Is that that's an appropriate com- That's an appropriate comparison. He uh, he's uh, he's a very talented, short-tempered guy who plays strong safety. And <laughs> the cool thing about like, him, though, is he's he weighs like about someone rocking in tubs to need to take down. Yes, yeah. And they show the slow motion scene where they're driving over the wet highway, and it's like a ten-minute Phil Collins song. <laughs> they're just like going to take down Kenny Vaccaro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Vicaro is a, a volatile, very fun player to follow because he's he loves he's a big hitter, but he he's actually incredibly skilled. He weighs two twenty, but we can put him on the slot on a receiver and, and he erases people. He's a he's actually very skilled. Let's let's get to the uh the darling of two thousand eleven, uh the Oklahoma State Cowboys, who who were losing quite a bit from their team. Most most um, especially Brandon Whedon and Justin Blackman. Um, what's what's the book on, on Oklahoma State heading into this year? Is it going to be a massive step back or just the typical we're losing our best quarterback and skill position player? I have uh, my Athlon page marked, and I'm just going to read you the entry. <laughs> no. Uh, they actually are, are going to be a, a strange, alternate, bizarro world Oklahoma State, which is they're going to have a pretty good defense particularly their back seven. Their secondary is really, really good. They have good linebackers. The, the front four is kind of weak. But they'll, they'll play pretty good defense. The offense is going to take a step back. Uh, they, they lose Brandon Whedon. They lose um, Justin Blackman. They lose you know their number two and number three receivers. And they're going to start a true freshman at quarterback. Yikes. So, and, and their line's just decimated, right? Yeah. You know, actually, I have to say, though, they have – Really, they're kind of the Iowa, the Big 12 in terms of O-line development. They have a really good offensive line coach, and he knows what he's doing, and he just cranks those guys out like an assembly line. So every time you sort of discount them, they they have good offensive lines every year, and, and they do it you know with a bunch of three stars. So um, I, I'd never, well, I can... never doubt their offensive line, but they've lost a lot of pure talent at receiver and quarterback. And even though their running backs are back and their running backs are good, that you know, their passing game really created their running game. And I think right. people are going to realize that this year. So they're just going to put it between the tackles and, and see if they can, you know, try to keep the clock running, keep it down, and let the defense try to win games for them? That's the Jim Trussell solution. But this is a, I know. Oh, and that's, this, sure. is, this is the Big Ten in me. I, I, that's, I look at that and I say, you're going to run the ball 80 times that's, a game. That's so very risk-averse of you. No. <laughs> the Big 12. Punt. Throw punt. <laughs> punt to win. Doesn't matter. you got to look. Field position. Um, so are they going to be the third team here or no. – is there somebody else who's going to pop up ahead of them and and uh, and get into contention for the for the Big Twelve championship? I have number three being a big jumble of Oklahoma State, West Virginia, TCU, Texas Tech, Baylor, sort of all, okay. all those. Oh, Kansas State as well. I think wow. all those okay. teams are going to go five and four, four and five in conference, and all the the difference in those games will be decided by home field and touchdown. So what you're saying is Oklahoma and Texas, everybody, and then Kansas and Iowa State. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, we're done. Love it. Let's call it a wrap. Awesome. 
All right, well, this has been a great podcast. Uh, no, let's talk about West Virginia because everybody loves West Virginia. Um, yeah, they're getting a lot of hype. Are they going? Are they going to really be able to? Uh, I, I feel like West Virginia in the Big East was a nice little anomaly that the teams really had to, to kind of one-off prep for. And now that they're in the Big 12 running an offense that almost everybody else runs, they're no longer the, the kind of unique package that, that they were in their old conference. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you're wrong, but I, I do actually think Dana Holgerson is one of the few really innovative minds left in college football. Uh, I mean, he's, he's doing I, new stuff. Like, the, the dude's inventing new football plays. And, you know, when he goes to coaching clinics, there's, you know, lines outside the room waiting to get in. Uh, he's, he's, he's really doing some interesting, innovative stuff that, you know, is kind of comparable to like Chip Kelly is what he's doing with the running game at Oregon. So uh, I, I think he's a legit, uh, they, they throw around offensive genius way too liberally in college football. And, but I think he's one of the guys that actually could qualify. And uh, that said, I think your fundamental analysis is right. I mean, they're really good at throwing the football. They don't have a very good defense. And I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball against upper echelon defenses. So I think you have kind of a classic Big 12 team, right? So what you're saying is they're exactly like every other team in the Big 12. <laughs> Except <laughs> there's, a, there's a, actually maybe there's going to be three teams in the Big 12 that can play defense, and they'll they'll probably be the three teams that are in the best shape at the end of the year. It, um, they sound like Texas Tech with more couch burning. That's well, I don't know if you can I, burn more couches than Texas Tech, Frank. I think if you've been to Lubbock, yeah. <laughs> Lubbock, Lubbock, you know, Wheeling, Texas Tech with more moonshine. Yeah, Morgantown, West Virginia has got nothing on Lubbock, Texas. I assure you. <laughs> um, what about TCU? How do they fit into their their new? Because they're they're not a, a typical Big Twelve team. They're a they're a run first, defense first team that that Big Twelve hasn't seen in a long, long time. How do they fit into this year? So historically, you're absolutely right particularly in the Ladanian Tomlinson years and, and the early years of Patterson, they've actually morphed. So now they've spread it out. They throw the ball around. Uh, Andy Dalton, you know, threw for plenty of passing yards. Casey uh, Pachel last year was like a 3,000-plus yard passer. Uh, and they've got a pretty good wide receiver core. They're big. I actually like them as sort of a secret dark horse. But then uh, February and March, they had a bunch of narcs. Betray uh, <laughs> most of their defensive starters. Stitches get stitches. Yeah. yeah, stitches get stitches in Fort Worth, and uh, they lost several dudes to Yayo, and <laughs> not looking good now for the Horn Frogs. I I had them as sort of a secret nine and three kind of team, and I think they're looking more seven and five ish. So. You mentioned that uh, you thought Baylor would would still be in the mix. I thought that was interesting, given that. The their own personal Jesus has been sent off to the NFL. Why why is Baylor poised to, to stay in contention even without RG three? Their defense it's going to be amazing. No, it's it's not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, actually, so they're not going to be in contention, but they are going to be able to win some games in the Big Twelve. And and I think people that are predicting them to go back in the cellar and sort of be Baylor again are are going to be wrong. I, I think they can be a six and six, you know, at least a bowl eligible team. And the reason is they actually – Art Bryles has actually done a pretty good job. I mean, they've got talent in the offensive line. They've got talent at wide receiver. People may not realize, but RG3 was drafted, obviously, 
um, appropriately. He's, I think he's an incredible player. Uh, high, but also Kendall Wright went in the first round, and then they had two offensive linemen who were drafted. So, you know, they're building a, a fairly well-rounded program, and they're bringing back a bunch of talent at wide receiver. The replacement for RG3 is nothing comparable to RG3, but he's actually right. he's a solid he's a solid college football quarterback. I mean, he's he's okay, he's fine. And, uh, Sounds like our kind of guy. Yeah, he's, he's your kind of guy, exactly. Does he like to shoot bears? Uh, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking, um, the, it's, you're having, not to change the subject, but the Big Ten has like a weird lack of good quarterbacks this year, right? There's, the, the absolute consensus is that James Vandenberg, who had like a 55% completion percentage last year, is by far the best passing quarterback in the conference. That's awesome. Well, Greg, yeah. Greg Davis will do nothing but amplify that belief. Yeah. Well, he'll 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 complete eighty percent of passes for a two yard average. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is what I've learned. But yeah, so Baylor, I'm not saying they're going to be world beaters or even legitimate title contenders. The defense will still be bad, uh, but their offense will still be pretty respectable. And they're just they're just not a pushover. They've been recruiting a lot better. They've got good player development, and uh, they're 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 just kind of respectable now. Um, and that's just I think they're going to stay that way for a while. All right, with someone with his ear to the ground in Texas, I'm going to ask you the next question. I don't even care about how good the team is this year. How long is it going to be until the Texas Tech Board of Regents decides to get rid of Tuberville for something completely stupid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating, all the different power plays that happened with Leach and, and all that. Um, I, I think it'll happen soon if Tuberville doesn't turn it around, uh, but – you know, frankly, some of those guys have their jobs staked on Tuberville, so they they may not want to bite yeah. that bullet for a while. But uh, I'm sure the fans are going to be really happy when when uh, Washington State's winning eight games this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> with, with Leach and no talent at all. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I I think Leach was very good for Tech, and there's there's other there's other coaches that can win at Tech, uh, but. I think what they did was ridiculous, and and I think they'll they're they're regretting it now, and I think they're going to regret it for a while. Um, you know, Tuberville's fine, but he he needs time if he's going to build the program his way, and I don't know if they're going to be they're going to afford him that luxury. So they better turn it around this year. They do have their quarterback right or back right. Yeah, they got a good quarterback. They have everyone coming back. I mean, essentially, they had horrible luck last year. They had tons of injuries. Uh, they weren't very talented. That's also a problem. That's not really luck. That's uh, for a bigger issue than yeah, that. Yeah, how, depending on luck. I'm giving a broad definition of luck, which includes talent, preparation, skill. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of pressure. Tech has the chance to be competitive. Um, they're always going to be tech, which means they're going to be able to throw the ball. And if they can get some kind of inspired effort <clears throat> from their defense at home, they can beat you. But – um, what happened to them last year? I mean, they beat Oklahoma, looked really good, and then they didn't even make a bowl game, and everyone makes a bowl game. So, Yeah, I I, I don't know what the Big Ten equivalent is, maybe Northwestern, but that's about right. Uh, they're just capable of elevating their play sometimes. Lubbock and Evanston are basically interchangeable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> academics are almost identical. Yeah, I, you know what I love about Texas Tech? Their, lo- their offensive line has some great names. LaRaven Clark. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, his mom was a big Edgar Allan Poe fan. Um, <laughs> La Adrian Waddle. <laughs> Deverick Gallington, which sounds, I mean, Deverick Gallington sounds like a soap opera character. Right? 
that's a, that's a phenomenal name. Deborah Gallington um, should definitely have been on the cast of Santa Barbara. That's right, exactly. Um, yeah, look, look. Let's talk about let's talk about that other uh, Big Twelve team, Texas A and M. Oh wait, never mind. Yeah, oh, there. Um, there has K-State. to be in the SEC. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> yeah, I, I, they're the Bulldogs now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to. So Iowa's bye week. Um, a couple of my friends from uh, I got my best friend from law school is a Vandy grad, and my other best friend from law school lives in Missouri. So we're going to Vandy Mizzou, which is like the least SEC SEC game ever. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's not quite Georgia Florida, is it? No, it's not exactly the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. It's more like a game at Missouri. Um, <laughs> speaking of a game at Missouri, Kansas State. Uh, Colin Klein comes back. He's also the leading rusher on the team. So basically, with Colin Klein, you have everything. Um, I think Jason Kirk of Shutdown Fullback, the lovely show that he does with Spencer Hall, said it yes. best when they said that he's Bleacher Report Tebow. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the guy. Oh, that's is. funny. He's absolutely indestructible. He he's tough to tackle, and he's just like every r- ridiculous announcer cliche is actually he's actually gutty. He's you know all those things, and he carries the ball 33 times for 119 yards, and you know throws it for 122, and somehow they beat you. And just goes to show that Hayden Fry coaching tree can't be denied. Even when it comes, keeps coming back for more. Right. But yeah, I mean, Snyder's the best pure coach in the conference. And, yeah. Uh, they, and he will be until the day that he dies because he's never retired. I don't think he can die. He might, he might live forever. He might be the Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> there could only be one. And it's still there could be only one. Yes. Lorenzo Lamas or whoever it was. Dylan McDermott, maybe. I don't remember who was the actual Highlander, but he's going to fight. Lambert. Christopher Lambert. Okay. Come Adrian on. Paul. That's Renegade. Oh, Adrian Paul was the guy in the show. I'm talking about the yeah. movie. Come on. Oh, no. Who watched the movie? No, the show. Who watched the movie? I am immortal. <laughs> I have inside me the blood of kings. <laughs> All right, let's get, let's get to the seller of the conference. Paul Rhodes, so damn proud. Iowa State. Um, First so, of all, uh, yeah, you're making – let's, let's, let's get terrified the, let's, of the teams, I am, which is where I'm going to get my question here. Which team that's grossly better than them will they beat this year? Uh, well, the candidates are, and you know that one yep. of them is Iowa. Iowa. Uh, Kansas State. Tulsa is better than they are. I guarantee Tulsa is a better team. Tulsa is there. a better football team. That's probably true. Yes. Uh, uh, Western, K-State, I think, Oklahoma State's up there. I think the Western Illinois Leathernecks may be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, they could absolutely beat West Virginia. They absolutely could. November twenty fourth, driving yeah. rain. Yep, they absolutely could. Um, that's one they could win. They could. I don't think they're going to beat Oklahoma. They never. They've played them tight, but never that tight. Um, Kansas State, October thirteenth, is a definite possibility. Oh, there's no question. And and like Klein and Knott will each have twenty three tackles, and one of them will break his femur, and. The announcers will be extolling their guttiness and grit, and they'll they'll beat someone twenty-one twenty because the other team throws six interceptions and misses four field goals. And while sitting on the sideline, Colin Klein will be hit by a uh, like a lead pipe wielded by one Jake Latimer in like a uh, 
like a Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding situation. <laughs> Jeff Galuli. Yes, yes. Jake Latimer is the Jeff Galuli of Abe. I, I need to I need to catch up with what happened to Jeff Galuli. I don't think there's enough Jeff Galuli talk anymore. <laughs> there never was. There never was. That was the problem for Jeff Galuli. I know. He did. So I, Iowa State. I mean, my analysis, and you guys may know them since you hail from the great state of Iowa, but my analysis is them, is they have two really good linebackers. Uh, the secondary is bad. The defensive line is average. And then they have got a, they've got a quarterback issue, and I don't think they have a lot of talent on offense. I think the only thing you've got wrong there is that there's no actual quarterback issue. It's a lot like Texas where, yeah, there's a competition. So it's Barnett. Barnett's going to start. You can't deny Jared Barnett. No, you can only hope to contain him. <laughs> um, He's like a poor man's Brad Banks. And as and as we know from watching Still Jance last year, Iowa won't contain him. <laughs> uh, but they got they got uh, James White back at halfback. I mean, they'll be they're going to be a dangerous team. They're going to have one of those games where Josh Lenz will have 125 yards receiving, and and White will just keep picking up first downs on third and four, and or they'll scramble for him with with Barnett, and they'll they'll beat somebody. They always do. And by the way, they have good offensive line names too. Very Iowan, uh, Ethan Tufty. <laughs> Tom Farniak. Farniak. Carter Bukowski. Kurt Hammerschmidt is the tight end. Kyle Lichtenberg. Car- yeah, but... Bi- Braden Burris and Carter Bukowski. How perfect <laughs> is that? Yeah, but they lost Hayworth Hicks, so it's all been downhill since then. That's a good point. They are. They're sort of the. They're sort of like a photo negative of Texas Tech's offensive line names. <laughs> Hold on, guys. They've got a left guard named Oni Omioli. <laughs> Holy cannoli! Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, the other, the other obvious seller dweller, uh, Charlie Weiss's new uh, new squad. My, how the mighty have fallen! I, the Kansas. Jayhawks. I cannot tell you how fired up I am to watch Charlie Weiss. <laughs> I am not joking. I'm not being ironic. I I am so excited because this guy was such a cocky ass coming into college football. I mean, he was absolutely convinced that you know, it was essentially like, you know, coaching county football in Dubuque and all these yokels, he was going to show them how offense worked. And do you remember the decided schematic advantage quote? Oh, yes. Flash the ring, decided schematic advantage. Absolutely. So, oh, yeah. you know, get in your licks now. And this is like in 2007, because in 2009, you guys aren't going to know what we're doing and you know, the 2009 team was arguably worse. So, yeah, well, I, I can't wait. Know the stuff. I, I mean, I, I'm a Texas fan. I should naturally root for people who are arrogant, and I can't wait for this guy to come. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I guess the big question is, I mean, their their uh, their schedule is, is just paper thin at the top, South Dakota State and Rice to begin things. Will they win a game after those first two? Uh. I don't. I don't like their chances against Northern Illinois. I'll tell you that. No, um, no I think beat them, especially in DeKalb. <laughs> you don't go into DeKalb. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't go into DeKalb. you don't just stroll into DeKalb. <laughs> There's a reason Iowa never plays them in DeKalb. We make them play in Chicago. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that that has all the prestige and legacy of the like an Army Navy game when you play them in Chicago. That's right. Uh, Soldier Field, Chicago. Yeah, so they're going to go two and ten or three and nine, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, uh, I would talent. 
I mean. Uh, Mr. Tobin O'Purum would like a word with you. <laughs> That's actually okay. one of their defensive ends. <laughs> Before we get to the uh, the real question at hand, let's, let's let's handle a couple quick things. Number one, as a as a non Big Twelve observer, if I'm going to tune tune into a Big Twelve game, uh, what two players should I be looking out to watch? What who are the guys that that are that I'm going to be interested in seeing? What uh, in terms of players or teams? Just who are, who are the most exciting players individually? Uh, Other than Colin Klein, obviously. Wow, that's a great question. Um, I, I think Colin Klein is a, a, a ton of fun to watch. Not because he's electric, but just because the guy like basically gets it done with masking tape and <laughs> turns every down into this incredible like Mark Other <laughs> adventure. So uh, if you're a fan of seeing third and three converted, you like Colin Klein. Hey, we're Big Ten guys. That's all we want to see. Um, <laughs> I actually, I'm going to say if you like uh, defense, check out any guy in Texas's secondary. I, I think you'll actually enjoy them quite a bit just because they all are pretty electric. They all can hit, and they can all do something with the ball in their hands once they get it. All right. I like that. That's the first defense answer we've had. Yeah. People like always that. go offense. I'm, I'm an old defense guy, so I'm going to go defense. Ross, go ahead. So how do you feel about realignment? I mean, how much do you miss A&M and Missouri? How excited are you for TCU and West Virginia? What, what do you think of the new Big 12? I like novelty. So, I mean, I was just – I was happy to get new teams in. And, and, you know, whatever you say about sort of television sets or all these other ancillary things, um, TCU and West Virginia have been better football teams than Missouri and A&M. So yeah. as, well, as I always thought teams. about realignment is is the team we were adding someone I want to play. I mean, I wanted yeah. to see Iowa play Nebraska for 20 years. So that was great. I mean, I'm sure I mean, West Virginia and TCU seem like exciting teams to play based on their success over the last decade. So, yeah, I, I think West Virginia is just going to be fun. I mean, for the same reason, I find that we're playing Ole Miss and non-conference fun just because you get to go to some strange, bizarre environment where you get in like the heart of SEC country and you get to observe the freaks in their natural environment. And uh, it's just new and it's kind of fun. I mean, I, I, I like that kind of thing. Uh, frankly, I, I think our league is, I mean, from a travel destination standpoint, it's shoddy. I mean, I, I liked going to Nebraska and that's like, that's like a real big time football environment. Um a&M, whatever you want to say about them, you know, they pack their stadium and they're loud and it's a hostile crowd, particularly to Texas. Uh, so, you know, I kind of miss that aspect in terms of losing some of those venues. But, you know, I like novelty. A&M, frankly, wasn't adding a great deal to the conference. And, and Missouri had been respectable, but they never could quite get over the hump. So um, I don't feel like it's a great loss in terms of pure football. Um and I, I mean, for Texas fans, our, our pure sort of hate rival is always OU. A&M is more sort of an amusement. <laughs> the Thanksgiving, I know how that goes. Thanksgiving isn't going to be the same without them, though, is it? We're going to play TCU on Thanksgiving. And until you've played a small Christian private school in Fort Worth, I don't think you know what, <laughs> what sort of tension there is on Thanksgiving, especially with wearing their home purples. <laughs> Just the way the pilgrims intended it. Exactly. This is, All right, this Paul. is what we were promised. 
long ago. <laughs> they landed on Plymouth Rock and they said, "Thou shalt wear the home purples." You shall name your mascot after a small, aggressive reptile. Poisonous reptile. Thou shalt gig him. Um, exactly. <laughs> thou shalt gig him. Um, let's let's get to the uh, the real question at hand. We've I've, we've talked to to Peter Bean at Burn Orange Nation, but I want to hear it from you from from the other side of of Texas fandom. Just what are we in for with Greg Davis? Um, I, I can give you more concise answers than Peter Bean. I can't give you better ones. Uh, look, here's the deal, all right? I mean, it's the most irritating thing in the world to get a new coach and then to go to the opposing fan boards and they're laughing at you because we've been there. I mean, I we added Stacey Searles to our offensive line coach, and as our offensive line coach, I should say, from Georgia. And if you go to Georgia boards, they were laughing. Like, that's absurd. Um, he's terrible. But we've actually found him to be an upgrade, which is probably a commentary on our program. So, um, I mean, if I had to pair one head coach to sort of fill in Greg Davis's blind spots, it would it would honestly be Kirk Ferentz. So, I mean, he cares about the running game. He has a natural understanding of how to develop offensive line play. Uh, he knows how to recruit sort of within a certain context of, you know, the three-star developmental guys. And that's all really helpful for Davis. Um, and also, I, there's an adjustment period with Davis. You know, he may, you're not going to get stuffed right off the bat. You guys have a good right. quarterback. And some of his schemes and some of the things he does are kind of weird and jarring to Big Ten teams just because you don't see it very often. Um, but there's an adjustment period. And once teams get clued in on that, it gets real ugly real fast because I think his biggest issue is not just schematic because he's run a lot of different schemes and we can debate right. about why he did what he did with Vince Young. I mean, he was essentially made to run that offense. But uh, one thing that's definitely true about him is he doesn't really understand risk reward. And he kind of views passing as better than running because when you pass, you on you in general you average eight yards per attempt, and when you run you average five yards per attempt. So why wouldn't you want to average eight? And you know he doesn't sort of understand that when you pass in certain situations, your chances of turnover go up markedly. You know right. you you can't convert at the end of drives. You lose toughness. Teams start to underman their fronts and play a base dime and jump all your routes. I mean. You know, our 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 falling apart did, on offense didn't start in 2010. It started in 2009. Most people don't know that because Colt McCoy, you know, disguised a fair amount of that. But if you watched our offense in 2009 against quality defenses, they got destroyed. They got obliterated. So, um, you know, that's his big issue. But I don't, I don't think you're going to see it right away. I think Big Ten defensive coordinators will have to take some time to adjust. So, I don't know if that's well, – Sounds a lot like the Ken O'Keefe experience. Yeah, and we had. What, what was his experience? Give me some context. Well, he O'Keefe came in. He had been a a one double A AA head coach before, and a, a Division two head coach, Division two national championship head coach before. But he came in, and they they put in O two they put Brad Banks in at, at quarterback, and basically said make one read and run. Yeah. And it worked. I mean, they, no one really ever adjusted well to it, and they had enough size up front to to make it work. And so, for, for about two years there, everybody was adjusting to what exactly it was that that 
O'Keefe was doing, and then O'Keefe kind of fell into a rut of doing the same thing over and over again, and everybody knew exactly what he was doing, and they never really got out of it. Yeah. And Iowa was always was never better than fourth in the conference in <laughs> offense from 03 to tw- to 11, and and the year they were fourth because they had a Doak Walker halfback. Yeah. Um, they just they were always bottom half of the conference. Everybody knew exactly what they were going to do. There was never a whole lot of of nuance to what was happening. It was always just we're going to run you know zone run this kind of pseudo sideline passing game um, and, and heavy on the tight end over the middle. And, and there was never any, any, uh, any adjustment there. So I, I, what I hear from you makes it sound like we're going to get about another three years maybe. And then by then everybody's going to know what, what Greg's doing. And that's the end of that. I, I think <laughs> it's going to be a quicker through. uptake than that because, you know, Sort of like with Ken O'Keefe. I mean, Brad Banks was what the best IO quarterback since what Chuck Long. I mean, Chuck Long. I remember yeah. Brad Banks very well. He was awesome. And yes, he was. Uh, you know, Greg Davis was helped out considerably by having Vince Young, followed by Colt McCoy. And, right. I mean, whatever you think of their pro NFL success, they were really, really good college quarterbacks. And particularly having that mobility. You know, I don't think it's a secret whether it's Brad Banks or McCoy or Vince Young, I mean, sort of the great eraser in the pencil of football is being able to run your quarterback. I mean, it just kind of – when the other team has third and eight covered and you can convert anyway, that's incredibly disheartening. So yeah, I, I think, you know, you're going to rise and fall on your quarterback play and your wide receivers. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, how you really evaluate your talent there. I think that will have a lot of your answers. Davis has been saying repeatedly since he got here that we need faster receivers. They've actually been out recruiting like six receivers for this class because he said, you guys are too slow. That's surprising. I would think Iowa would be fast as shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shockingly, right? It's Iowa. We have, we have Lloyd Carr's old receiver coach. (laughs) So we have like these guys who are like offensive linemen out wide. That's awesome. Great. They can fucking block though. Yes, they can. You guys need to open we'll block, uh, candle block your ass off. to get some speed in there. <laughs> you really going to try to go into uh, Charlie Weiss's backyard? Yeah, I, I think you can go in there. <laughs> I think you can go into Topeka and rob them blind. They'll <laughs> <laughs> never know what hit him in Wichita. Uh, but yeah, no, truly, I mean, Davis was an incredibly maddening experience in some respects, particularly if you're more of an analytical fan. But by the same token – it's not debatable that he had some of the most statistically successful offenses in Texas history. Right. Uh, what's also not debatable, I used to write satire about the guy constantly, and one of the things that I always sort of made fun of was, aside from his horizontalism, but one of the things I always made fun of was his notion that the mean average was sort of the important thing. So if you put 60 up on Western Kentucky and you score 10 against OU – you're averaging 35 points. 35. That's great. Yeah. And you know, my argument was always, I kind of prefer an offense that can run the ball and do some other things and put up 45 on a bad team and 27 on a good, you know, defense or 24. And you know, Greg never saw saw my point apparently, so I just had to blog oh. more and more until until he acknowledged it. Well, if if his goal is to put up 60 on the MAC and and 10 on like Ohio State. He's found the right team. Well, and not only that, you may you could win a fair number of the games where you put up thirteen on right. one. So Well we yeah, we could put up ten on Ohio State and be in the game. Yeah. That's the beauty of the Big Ten. Absolutely. Woo! 
All right, Paul, we took you for way too long. We appreciate you coming on, and we'll remind everybody they can catch Paul at Barking Carnival talking about Texas. And now you've got a Jayhawk rider. I do. We we have so, Aggie riders. We have Jayhawk riders. We have random guys that pop in from uh, different schools. And <laughs> as long as they have a sense of humor, they're always welcome, and, and they do well there. So if any Iowa people want to put their – toes into the water, particularly as you're getting the Greg Davis experience. Please come on over and celebrate or commiserate. <laughs> there'll be, there'll be, there will be drunken fan posting. Oh, there will be drunken fan posting. I promise you that I will feature any drunken fan post from an <laughs> You have my pledge that that will happen. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks, Paul. My pleasure. Take care, guys. Thanks.